Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen. He is alive. Think about that. Really think about that. He lived. He died. He lives again to never die again. That's life-changing. Absolutely life-changing. Because of his resurrection, Jesus can actually give us the ideal life, eternal life, eternal life. Mark Twain said, good friends, good books, and a sleepy conscience, this is the ideal life. And if Mark Twain is right, then lots of people are actually living the ideal life. Having a sleepy conscience is one big reason why people don't admit uh, their life isn't ideal. Why so many will never experience the ideal life of living after death. Every single one of us has discomfort inside. We know that something is wrong with life. And if we're honest, everything is broken and lacking. Every day we desire something else, something out there, something more. I think we all experienced this when we were 15. We couldn't drive, and we longed for the day when we could grab the keys and drive anywhere. Our driver's license became for us a type of a savior that could rescue us from boring weekends at home and not seeing friends, and it could liberate us to hit the road to fun. We felt the need to be saved. America wants to be saved from boredom. In her article titled, When Your Greatest Fear is Boredom, Dr. Lisa Rankin, she's a physician and author from California, confessed, one of my greatest fears in life is that I'll wind up bored. She said, those who fear boredom are always seeking the next thrill, the next win, the next love, the next source of external validation. Anything exciting can be their boredom savior. They feel the need to be saved. People do this with marriage. Looking to a spouse as a type of savior, ready to rescue them from loneliness or abstinence or childlessness or whatever. And this is probably why so many marriages are completely in trouble. Spouses make lousy saviors. But people feel the need to be saved. Some people see money as redemption. They may not say that, but they don't have to. They live it every single day. Money is a type of savior that can rescue them from poverty or status quo or failing to keep up with the Joneses and can bring them comfort and security and opportunity and more stuff. Materialism is an outcry for a savior. People feel the need to be saved And this is the case for so many things in life. People sense that they need something. But the feeling, it's not always extreme. Sometimes it's very subtle and slight. But every day, we feel it. We constantly feel the need to be saved from something. And it feels like we're on a perpetual search for a Savior. When you realize you need to be saved, you look to a Savior. And maybe that's part of our problem. We're looking for a Savior. We don't find the Savior. The Savior finds us. Isn't it the Savior that comes to the rescue? 
in light of all that we find painful and undesirable in life, what do we really need to be saved from? Let's say that you're a a really fashionable person, okay? It's about five of you, just kidding. (laughs) You fear, let's say that you fear, and you know who you are, you fear being out of style, and let's say that you can't swim and you're drowning. Being unfashionable while you drown is not your biggest problem. Fashion is completely irrelevant When you're drowning, you might think that the Coast Guard life preserver is puffy and frumpy and unattractive, but it's what you need. And it looks really, really good to people who are drowning. Easter identifies what people need to be saved from. Jesus died and rose again to save people from their sin and the impending judgment of God. Sin in us is our greatest problem, and we need a Savior. All the other quasi-saviors only make us look fashionable while we're drowning. Only one Savior can actually rescue us. These last verses of John 12, they appear in an odd place. Right after Jesus departed and hid himself from the people, John didn't mention an audience, he didn't mention a location, he didn't mention a time. Maybe Jesus said these words after he had departed as the last uh, words of his public ministry. Maybe they were a succinct summary of his entire public ministry. Either way, it's not really so much when these words were said, but that they were said. These profound words remind us again of of several things, the indivisible union between Jesus and God the Father. They remind us of the urgency, the necessity and beauty of the words of Jesus. They remind us to believe and obey all that Jesus has spoken. They remind us that God's commandment is eternal life. Since Jesus came to save the world... It'd be best we listen closely to what he had to say. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. When you believe in Jesus, you believe in God. When you believe in Jesus, you believe in God. Jesus said this with some volume. All right, he was crying out, and he said it with urgency. It was important, and people needed to hear what he had to say. Notice that Jesus didn't say, whoever believes me, he said, whoever believes in me or into me, referring to belief that unites the believer to him. Jesus wanted people to know that whoever believes in him believes principally in God. Now, at first glance, his words seem paradoxical. Uh, Whoever believes in me believes not in me. What's, what's up with that? He was saying belief in him is principally belief in God. Back in John 10, 38, he said, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Believing in Jesus is believing in God. That's the idea. In John 14, 1, Jesus said, believe in God. But monotheism is not actually the goal. 
Jesus went way further than monotheism. He said, believe in God, believe also in me. Father and Son are one, divine, the Trinity with the Spirit. Therefore, monotheism is useless without Jesus. A bunch of years ago, I had a discussion with a pastor about whether the Jews worship the same God as Christians. The pastor said yes, but that the Jews were confused. I said no, because if you don't believe in God's Son, you don't really believe in God. America is largely theistic. Our currency actually says on it, in God we trust. But what does God even mean today in pluralistic America? You can redefine God any way you want. Here is the test of of just how theistic America really is. What if instead of in God we trust, we put this? Jesus Christ is God, the second person of the Trinity, the only Son of God, the only Sovereign King, the only Savior of the world, the only object of faith, the only way to God, the only truth of God, and the only life of God. It is in Him that we trust. A lot to fit on a coin, but that's a better coin. That's a much more accurate coin. Listen very closely, rejecting, actually, not to suggest America that that's an accurate coin because America trusts in Jesus Christ. We don't. We redefine God. That would be a better coin because that takes us a lot closer. You believe in Jesus, you believe in God. Listen very closely to this. Rejecting Jesus is effectively atheism because when you believe in Jesus, only then do you truly believe in God. Belief in one God necessitates belief in Christ. Jesus said more, verse 45, and whoever sees me sees him who sent me. When you see Jesus, you see God. Likely hundreds of thousands of people in the first century saw Jesus. But because of their widespread unbelief, they never truly saw God. They saw a blasphemer. They saw a lunatic. To really see Jesus, you must see him as he truly is is through the eyes of faith. Only then will you truly see God. Whoever truly believes, truly sees. John 1.18 is, is very interesting. It says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus has made God known. The night before the cross, the disciples heard Jesus tell Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now, I wasn't born in the first century. Now, some of you are pretty old, but but take heart, you're not that old. Uh, None of us has seen Jesus. None of us has seen Jesus. But when we hear the gospel... And the Holy Spirit opens our heart and unveils Jesus for us through God's word, and we believe, then we see Jesus and therein see God. Now, the Galatians didn't see Jesus either, yet Paul told them this very interestingly, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. 
He meant they saw Christ through the preaching of the gospel. Now, when you came here this morning, Easter morning, did you expect to see God? Did you expect to see God? You see, we see God every week here at Jerusalem Church. No, it's not some weird glory cloud or physical manifestation. We see Jesus as we hear and believe the Word of God proclaimed. It is through the Bible, the Word of God, that God reveals Jesus to us. And by seeing Jesus, we see God. Now let's invert the famous phrase that we're all familiar with to read like this. Believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. Only by believing will you see the conclusive evidence for the existence of God. As you believe Jesus and see him as he truly is, you see God. In Jesus, you see what God is really like. You want to know what God is really like? Look to Jesus. He's awesome. He's awesome. Here is why you should believe. When you believe in Jesus, you are freed from darkness and disorientation. You are freed from darkness and disorientation. The notes say disillusionment, and I should have used disorientation instead. Darkness and disorientation. On July 31st, back in 2012, India experienced the largest power outage in world history. 620 million people. That's about 9% of the world's population were impacted by this power outage. Trains and metros were shut down. 200 miners were trapped underground. Hospitals and airports had to fall back on uh, backup diesel generators. When there is no light... Darkness dominates and leaves everybody disoriented. Light always overcomes darkness. Light clarifies reality. Jesus said in verse 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Now that's a very, very helpful sentence. We need to hear that. Notice several things from that sentence. Number one, Jesus came into the world That means his origin is outside of time and space. It's outside of the world. Jesus is eternal. Number two, Jesus is the light. John described Jesus as the true light, which enlightens everyone. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus emits the glory of God. He radiates all that God is. Number three, the world is darkness. That's no surprise. Look closely at verse 46. Jesus assumed that the world was already in darkness. Can you see that? There's an assumption there. Jesus came to shine so people would believe and be saved and rescued from darkness and disorientation. But there's a problem. People love, absolutely love the darkness. They love staying there. They love living there. They don't want the light. John 3, 19 and 20 says this. People loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his deeds should be exposed. People love sinning. People love sinning. They love the darkness. It conceals them. 
That's why they don't want Jesus coming around shining the light of his truth in their life. That's why they run from Jesus. Number four, Jesus came to free people from the darkness. I have come into the world as light. As light. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus came to turn the lights on. Leon Morris said Jesus came to deliver men from darkness, not to imprison them within it. Do you think that Jesus is on a mission to keep you from something good? Is is Jesus a, a cosmic killjoy that he asks you and teaches you these things so that somehow he could ruin your life? If so, you need to listen to Jesus more closely. Remaining in the darkness is a terrible way to live. A terrible way to live. Jesus shined the glory of God for you to see and for you to believe so you would be freed from the darkness. Jesus made a promise in John 8, 12. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. People who run from Jesus die in sin and darkness. People who follow him live in the light. Here is why Easter is so precious for us. Jesus can shine in your darkness. Jesus can shine in your darkness. He can actually become your clarity. He can make sense of your life. He can cleanse you fully from your sin. But you must trust him. Stop fumbling around in the dark. Come into the light. Consider this. The light that allows you to enjoy the breathtaking scenery of of this planet. Is this not an amazing planet? And what we can see is illumined by light. The same light that hurts your eyes in the morning when you're waking up. Here's what I mean. Sometimes when the light shines, people close their eyes even tighter to avoid it. They don't want to see the beauty of the light. Jesus warns people who do this. Listen to verses 47 and 48 again. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, that's blocking it out. I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words, has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Please hear this. When you reject Jesus and fail to receive and keep his words, you will be judged. You will be judged. Despite the many people in the world who share the gospel and plead with their friends... I mean, they're laying their heart out, they're laying Christ out, and they're just saying, please, would you just believe, would you just open your eyes and see the glory of Jesus and respond to him in faith, that people still shut the words of Jesus out. Sin is their favorite loud music blaring, and they refuse to remove their earbuds to listen to the words of Jesus. The world The world finds Jesus irrelevant, irrelevant and obtuse. 
And obeying his words is not on their to-do list. Has Jesus been unclear? If we fail to hear his words and keep them, things will not work out for us. We should not expect them to. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to save. While he was here, he spoke words of life, not death. He lived and died and lived again to rescue, not destroy. Through his death and resurrection, he accomplishes and gives eternal life. When Jesus said that he came into the world to save the world, he meant to save people from their sin and the incoming judgment of God and to give them eternal life. That's great news for those who see their desperate need for a savior. When Jesus said he came to save the world, he was referring to his first coming, his rescue mission, not a mission to seek and destroy the world, a mission to save the world. And verse 47 almost seems like a loophole. Listen to it. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. That sounds great. Well, I'll take a a Savior. He's not going to judge me, right? Maybe he'll just let me live my life the way that I want. I can still be saved. He doesn't judge me. This might work out okay. All Savior, no judge. But Jesus added something, didn't he? Verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. The very word that people ignore every single day of their lives is the same word that will condemn them in the end. There is a judge, the word. If we hear Jesus and we block him out and we ignore what he taught, As if we don't even care and as if it's irrelevant to our lives, if we ignore the Bible, our condemnation is on the way. Jesus has a word for all of us. He gives it to us straight. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Folks, there is no loophole When people ignore Jesus, they communicate to God, your son is irrelevant and unimportant to me. I am not interested in you. You see, reject, it's a strong word, reject from verse 48 can mean to regard as nothing, to set aside. I think rejection of Jesus Christ includes not only hatred and complete rejection of God, but apathy and disinterest as well. You see, you, there are a lot of people who might say, hey, I got Jesus, he saved me, I said the prayer, right? But in their life, they show they're very disinterested in what Jesus has to say. And that is rejection. Many monotheists are disinterested in hearing and receiving and obeying the words of Jesus. They simply don't care. They tune them out, and what they tune out is their judge. They will be condemned by the very word they considered irrelevant. 
Have you heard it said that the same sun that melts wax softens, I'm sorry, that, melts, that softens the wax hardens the clay? Have you heard that? The same sun that softens the wax hardens the clay. The same words, very same words that bring life and joy and fullness and peace and comfort and hope are those same words that people find completely undesirable and those words harden them and they will haunt them forever. D.A. Carson wrote, the same message that proclaims life and forgiveness to the believer proclaims condemnation and wrath to the unbeliever and this judgment on the world is now impending. It's coming. Judgment is on the way for those who reject Jesus, for those who are disinterested in Jesus, for those who can't make time for Jesus, for those who value other things above Jesus. So when someone tells you to listen to Jesus, it would be in your best interest to listen to Jesus. And we cannot separate Jesus from his word. In fact, John 1 tells us that Jesus is the eternal word. Though Jesus said, I do not judge him, and the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, we must also consider that Jesus said, the Father has given him all judgment. Has given judgment to him, the Son, John 5, and that God has given Jesus authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of God, John 5, 27. What Jesus said in verses 47 and 48 does not negate the fact that Jesus will judge in the end. We must ask, from whom do these words proceed? In focusing on Jesus saving the world during his first coming, which is absolutely right and good, we need to focus on him as the Savior of the world But in so doing, don't ever, ever forget that he comes to judge in his second coming. The clock is ticking, and Jesus will come again, bringing the righteous judgment of God with him. In John 12, Jesus is Savior. In Revelation 19, Jesus is the Word of God, the King sitting on the white horse and called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His second coming, oh, how different it will be than his first coming. And it is grace to hear this. It is a kindness from God to hear this. These words of judgment are true, but the inverse of them is equally true. In words of judgment are words of life. Whoever hears his word and believes and keeps them is not condemned and will never be. Can you see that in these words of judgment? Everyone who loves Jesus and joyfully receives his beautiful words, his sacred words, will be pardoned fully in the last day. Believers have nothing to fear. Nothing. Absolutely nothing to fear. And everything to look forward to. Jesus made believers a promise. He said, if anyone keeps my word, and the primary thing is to trust him in his righteousness, whoever keeps my word, he will never see death. 
Jonathan Shirk's never going to die. All of you believers are with me on that. If you believe and trust in Jesus, you're never going to die. Sure, your body will die, but you will live eternal life with God forever. He promised us, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And I hope that you hear in these words of judgment and warning, I hope you hear grace and life and joy. Now let's say that I promise my kids uh, that if they clean up their room, all right, in 30 minutes or less, that we're going to head to Twin Kiss and we're going to get the frosted root beer mugs. You with me? They are awesome. Love it. And let's say that they begin, okay, and, and as they're, they're cleaning up, oh, it begins to feel so hard, right? It feels like a burden, and they start complaining, which is not a foreign concept in the shirk home, including Papa Shirk. Soon, the work becomes undesirable, much much less desirable than the very toys they are instructed to clean up. Oh, look at these Legos. So many pretty colors and so many possibilities. Think of all the configurations. Ooh, la, la, look at these beautiful dolls and their clothes. Their clothes are splendiferous, and that's fancy for really cool. And so they go about playing instead of cleaning up, and 30 minutes expire. No frosted mug root beer. Look, I'm not a tyrant, okay, but you don't get the root beer. And pending on what was said by mom and dad in those 30 minutes, encouragement, there might even be discipline after 30 minutes. Sometimes the promises of God seem too distant and overshadowed by the luster of immediate gratification of sin. And as we play about with sin, as time ticks away, God's commands seem very dim and undesirable. And before we know it, it's too late and every blessing of God is gone. And judgment finally arrives. If we make it our life ambition to love Christ, to trust in his perfect righteousness, to obey his commandments in order to glorify him and enjoy him soon enough, he will give us absolutely everything he promised to us. Jesus came to save, not to condemn, but in the life that God gives us, if we ignore him, we will reap judgment, not blessing. And if we believe, we will have him. Believing and seeing and hearing and keeping and receiving all that Christ has said yields indescribable pleasures for us. There are many things that are screaming at you right now in your life. Many things. I can save you from that. I can fulfill you. I am what you want. Trust me, follow me, I will give you what your heart longs for. And we're so prone to actually believe all the advertisements. But God said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, listen to him. 
Our greatest need is not to be wearing Calvin Klein when we're drowning. It's a much better scenario to be rescued and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Verses 49 and 50 are exactly what you should listen, why you should listen to Jesus and not the other garbage of the world. Why Jesus and not Oprah? Why Jesus and not Muhammad? Why Jesus and not Beyonce or Pope Francis or Planned Parenthood or Mark Zuckerberg or Barack Obama or Stephen Hawking or Taylor Swift? Verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Jesus speaks with the authority of God. Jesus speaks with the authority of God. What you hear from him originates from God. It's worth tuning into. John 3.34 says, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Of all the great orators and speakers of history, Jesus surpasses them all because he was filled beyond measure with the Holy Spirit of God. He was powerful. The scribes were speaking in his day, but he had more authority and conviction and truth than the scribes were speaking. The people recognized it. He transcends everybody else. He was divinely appointed and divinely anointed. Jesus was always quick, too, to give credit to his father. Jesus said, I declare to the world what I have heard from him. I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. Jesus is never at a loss for words. He always speaks what God wants. And behind every letter of every word that he speaks is the commandment of God, which is eternal life. His words don't kill. His words don't take away the fun. His words are not meaningless or trite. They give life. Verse 50 And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. His words are life. I love how William Hendrickson put it. He wrote, The instruction given to Jesus was to procure, to reveal, and to proclaim everlasting life. Hence, that instruction issues in everlasting life for his people. Not only did Jesus love enough to give his life to procure or accomplish salvation not only was he eternal life revealed in the flesh but he loved us enough to tell us the honest truth to be real with us to tell us what it's all about to plead with us to show us eternal life jesus said one time the words that i have spoken to you are spirit and life his words are life When you add up all these phrases and top them off with verses 49 and 50, you arrive at our final point. When you fully submit to the authoritative words of Jesus, only then are you truly saved. I I would imagine that there are some of you sitting here today that for yourself take full assurance that you're okay with God. You're good. Everything's good. But in your life, every day, you ignore him. You don't care about what he says. You're not doing what he says. And in that, 
I wonder if you would just recognize this morning that you're not really saved. If you can hear the words of Jesus and totally ignore them. You should have no assurance whatsoever. But if, as a very broken and imperfect person, like we all are, you strive to love him with all of your heart, you strive to obey him, you strive to see what he has said in his word and you find it precious and interesting and it draws you in and then you get bored because we're human and, and then you're like, but I gotta keep going back to what he said and, and the Holy Spirit helps you to see and so you, you commit your entire life. All I wanna do is just obey what you've written. I just wanna know what you've written and I just wanna do it and believe it and find it joyful. And so you, in your imperfect way, and though you fall frequently, you're like, but I, my life is just all about living for him. Then all the words about judgment will just drive you to be more joyful in Jesus Christ. Not scared, just more joyful at what he's done to, to free you from the, the judgment and the darkness and the disorientation and the confusion and the pain and the, everything else. Who cares if you're a monotheist? Who cares? Have you submitted your life completely to Jesus and absolutely everything that he has said? Do you believe in Jesus? Have you seen in the gospel the glory of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Has the darkness been dispelled in your heart because Jesus showed up and turned the lights on for you? And you see his light and it's precious to you. Have you received his words and do you live and resolve to keep every single one of them? Are you aware that his words contain eternal life? And that's why what Jesus has to say is so important for us to hear. Listen to him. May the preacher just plead with you over and over again. Just listen to him. Just listen to him. If you listen to him, you will hear marvelous and wonderful words of a Savior's love. How he bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How through the power of the cross he became sin, took the blame, bore the wrath of God and rose again so that we may stand forgiven at the cross. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how precious are the words of Jesus, and I pray that all of us would listen intently to what he said. We have so many flashy things, movies and music and media and TV shows, magazines, books, talk shows, political commentators. We are barraged by people who have something to say, and they think that it will actually help us when what we need most is to be saved from our sin and the impending judgment of God. Your word could not be clearer in this regard. Jesus said it straight. And man, do we ever love him because he did. Because he spoke so clearly, we can see in his words the gospel, the Holy Spirit works through his word in our heart and we can treasure Christ as our Lord and Savior, and follow him in all that he has said. I pray that you save someone this morning. Rattle them out of their slumber, their sleepy conscience. They've been ignoring you for far too long, and I pray that your grace explodes in their heart so that they finally see 
the tremendous glory of God in Jesus Christ. That finally Easter means for them what it's supposed to mean. And God, I pray for all those who love Jesus with their whole heart, that you will encourage them this morning, that they will uh, love you even more because of Easter, because of what you accomplished, because they are raised to life in the resurrection of Jesus, and that we will enjoy our precious King and Savior all the days of eternity, and you can't count eternity. God, show up and turn the lights on. In the name of Jesus, the precious King, we pray. Amen.